The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Holy Spirit, come. Show your mighty power, we pray in your name. Amen. Have a seat. We... Am I, am I just in a good mood today? I was having an extra good time during worship. I don't know. Might just be me, but we were having fun. Or I was having fun. Uh, okay, we are hitting First Peter chapter 5 today, which is the, uh, let's see, this is the 13th week of my five-week series on First Peter. Um, so, uh, so things are going well, but, but in fairness, I took off for Palm Sunday, Easter, and Mother's Day, so it's really only the 10th week of my five-week series. Uh, I got pretty excited, but uh, this is it. I got to tell you ahead of time, I think this is my favorite sermon of all of them, okay? Not promising you'll feel the same way, but I think I'm, I'm pretty pumped to go with this. However, before we jump into chapter five, I do want to say a word about summer series coming up. We are going to, uh, I'm not sure I like this name yet. I got start to finish here. I'm thinking beginnings and endings. I don't know, but we're going to look in the, the beginning of summer in the book of Genesis at the beginnings, and then at the end of summer in the book of Revelation at the endings. Okay, pretty exciting. Oh boy, I could see some of you aren't even going to be able to pay attention today because you're so excited about summer. Uh, but uh, but we're going we're to go with that this summer. So uh, as we look at chapter 5, we are going to talk about the flock of God, the foe of God, and the future of God. I know you all love alliteration, so here we go. Uh, we actually looked at these verses, these first four verses last week, but we're, and we're going to kind of look at them again quickly uh, this day, but I didn't want to com uh, completely skip over before we got in. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter wrote to the church. He said, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We're going to come back around to that at the end. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those you, uh, in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appeared, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So just a few minutes this morning, I wanted to start and talk about just this concept of the flock, because this comes up over and over again through Scripture, whether the Scripture is talking about the body of Christ or the church, the called out assembly of Christ, or the family of God, or the flock, God wants us to do life together, okay? We come to Him individually, but when we come to Him individually, we meet others there, and we are brought to together by His grace into a family. And you might, uh, honestly, in your mind, you might immediately think too, you know, I don't really know that I feel like that, that I feel like I need the church. I, I can say this with complete honestly, honesty. In my, my, of myself, I could agree with you. I can be like that. I don't really think I need the family of God. But professionally, not like this is what I have to do, but because my job is to teach the Word of God, I can't say that because I think the Word of God teaches very clearly that we do need others in the church. I was thinking about this. I'm looking over here at, at Gene uh, Devlin as our local firefighter. 
not actually local, Elkar firefighter, but anyway, he's a firefighter. Uh, but I was thinking about different people in professions like that or in the military uh, that some of you uh, are or have been and the connection that you get and the bond that you need in the brothers. And I, I've, I've not really asked you this, but I, I kind of know this already, that if something were to happen to Gene, his firefighter brothers are there. There's a bond, you know, they're, they're going to jump in. Well, we need people in our lives. Here's the idea. We need people in our lives who care about our spiritual health. Okay, you need people who care that, uh, you know, how your walk with God is going, how your relationship to God is going. We need that. So we need the flock of God. Now, as we look at that, let's look at, you know, first of all, of course, in the flock, you have people. And that's the problem right there, isn't it? I had fun this week. I was listening to some different sermons on this text, and different pastors were telling stories about people in their church, not in our church, but in their church. He said, people sometimes can be very difficult. Uh, one guy told the story about this lady that she would, every time, every Sunday morning, she'd find like a newer family in the church, and she'd invite them out to lunch, which is a great thing. But, and then every time, she would forget her, work, her purse. And they would end up paying. And she was working this system uh, week, week after week. Finally, the elders had to talk to her. Uh, so, but that's not this church. However, I real, will warn you that if John Mas- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible it could be. But I, I just thought that was a great, great, great story. <laughs> She's working the system. Going go on. You mean church has people like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, man, this one is really bad. The guy said he had a, a man that would stand in his church lobby and as everybody would come in, he would make a list of what he called modesty violations. Yeah, how creepy is that? Uh, you know, this woman was not dressed appropriately today. You know, how'd you like to, you know, well, we'll give you a five. Uh, so-and-so's looking a little spicy today. Uh, I don't know what he wrote down there, but if you can imagine this guy taking the time to do that, this is a guy that needs, uh, needs out of the church. Again, did I mention not our church? But, uh, and then one, one other guy, I like this one because I thought this guy would die in our church. He would sit and he would make a list of all the preacher's grammatical mistakes. <laughs> I thought that guy would be so stinking busy around here. Uh, he just, oh, well, no, I can't keep up. Uh, and, he, and then he said to the pastor on Monday morning. So, so there are all types of people that are difficult, but I want you to remember this phrase. I was down at Hope. Uh, ministries this Tuesday, and I was getting ready to do their little chapel thing, and they had a whiteboard in the back that wasn't properly erased, and I got up there, and the message on there, I wasn't going to think about it, but uh, as I started to erase it, I realized what it said. It said this, we are all in different stages of recovery, okay? The, the whole mission, they said, we are all in different stages of, of recovery. We could stencil that on our wall here very well, Okay, we are all in different stages of recovery uh, from the hold that sin ha- has on us, from the hold the devil has on us. We're all in different stages. Some people come out of that a little faster, some, uh, uh, some people a little slower. But if we can remember that and offer people grace because we are all, and it's always going to be like that. You say, but people in church can be a bite in the short. <laughs> I don't Some words I'm not supposed to say when I'm up here. Uh, that was an old phrase from McCall. Uh, people in the shorts can... People in the church can be a real pain. I, I get that. And I don't know if there's anybody. Dennis and I were out, out this week, and we were talking about that a little bit. Anybody who has a history of church and ministry and everything like that somewhere has been burned by somebody or some church or some pastor or some, somebody else's stuff like that because people are flawed. They're messed up, and we're all in different stages of recovery. But still, I think the Scripture is very, very clear 
that we need each other. We need the church, and we'll keep saying that. Now, real quickly to uh, not only the, the uh, people, but also uh, th- this scripture gives instructions to the pastors, and I think it points out, you know, three specific things give me a temptation to them. It talks about doing things willingly, not because they have to. Uh, pastors definitely can be burned out and lose a passion for ministry. Uh, talks about them not being uh, trying to get rich in the ministry. You know, they want to have the approach of what can I give to the ministry, not what can I get out of it. So it talks about greed being a factor, and it talks about power, those who misuse their power in the church and you know, rule, rule over people. And um, I, I wanted to mention one other thing just before I leave this topic of pastors. Um, my, my situation really, you know, as I talk to people, is somewhat unique. And what I mean by that is I never, some of you know, <laughs> yes, you're very unique. Uh, I never pastored, most of you know this, before I came here. And I've only been here for nine years, so I was 53 when I started pastoring. That really does put me in kind of a weird category as far as the pastor, one of the things he says is, you know, you don't do it out of compulsion, do it because you want to be there. Uh, just be real honest, by the time I'm burned out, it's going to be time for me to lie down anyway. <laughs> Some of you are like, that was two weeks ago, we got uh, our, our calendar. But, but honestly, that is, that is somewhat the truth. By the, do, do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not going to be 35 years old and, and uh, man, this is hard. And so as, as I was thinking about this, and this just kind of weird thought popped in my head, but I, but I felt like the Lord would have me share this with you, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I will. Uh, but I would like you specifically to pray with me that the young man who stood up here before, and actually his wife was up here too, uh, singing, but Josh and Hannah would find their experience of ministry here to be helpful and positive. Okay, because this is the first time he has been in a you know full time church position, and I'd like to ju- just to pray that we can, and again that doesn't mean you never tell him anything. Hey, this could be better or anything. Like, that doesn't mean anything like that, but that we pray and encourage and build him up and strengthen him for that because. It can be, a t- there are temptations, a little extra temptations. That's why Peter wrote here uh, to the pastors, and he said, hey, here you go. Here's some things they're going to face. So if I could, re- and I'm not saying I don't need prayer, <laughs> but I figure you already knew that. Uh, b- but, um, but I am saying, you know, maybe in, in an extra way there. Do you, do you understand what I was saying, you know, kind of a different situation and stuff? I mean, I'm 62, and I, you know, you don't have to retire from the pastor for a while yet. You can go, you can go, but but at the same time, when I do, nobody's going to say, oh, he was so young <laughs> to drop. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Okay. Um, all right. Any, anyway, let's, let us move on. And we're actually going to jump over the verses that we hit real hard last week, the humble yourselves and that whole connection between the fact that when we're proud, we're prone to worry. And we're going uh, to jump over to verse number 8. And look at this here. Peter writes, and he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. So Peter writes, and he he tells us a little bit about the foe that we face, and of course he calls him a lion. Uh, My wife and I are headed tomorrow, actually. We're going to, she really likes zoos, Uh, we're going to the Columbus Zoo. 
Okay, anybody happy for us? Uh, okay, anyway, it's, it's supposed to be a really good zoo. We're he heading for the Columbus Zoo. Uh, somewhere in there, I'm sure you see a lion. It's kind of funny when you see lions uh, at the zoo because, you, you know, people get so excited. Did you see his tail move? His tail moved. Uh, I saw it. You know, it's usually just lying there, t you know, taking it easy. I did hear a story about a guy who uh, wanted to get a job at the zoo, and he went in, and he, he said, uh, uh, hey, I'll pretty much do anything. He said, well, the only position we have is our gorilla just died. Until we get a new one, we need somebody to put on the gorilla suit. And he said, well, you know, yeah, I can do that, uh, you know, whatever. And the guy was really pretty good. He's in the cage, you know, swinging around. He's having a good time and, and putting on quite a show for everybody and, and star attraction. But one day he got a little carried away, and he swung himself through a little opening up in a mesh, and he fell down into the lion's pit. Yeah, so he's down there in the lion's pit, and the lion starts to come over towards him kind of slowly, and the, the guy's starting to panic, and the lion gets a little closer, and he says, I don't know what else to do. So he starts screaming, help, help. And the lion says, you better shut up. You're going to ruin our jobs for both of us. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't resist telling that. Uh, nothing to do with the sermon. Okay. Uh, but, you know, think about the idea of being at the zoo, and, uh, and you know, the, the lion has escaped. You know, the, the terror that would come. There's a movie some of you might remember based on a book called Ghost in the Darkness about some killer lions. that I think they, they killed as many as 135 people or something like that. But you think about that idea. I did look this up. There's one big cat death in America a year. That's, that's the average. So it's not all that common, but that idea of a lion that uh, stalks, and a lion that uh, can pounce, a lion that can crush the neck, a lion that is looking for those that are alone. And in our text, we see a few things about this foe. One of the things I want you to notice is the person that is talked about here. So I want to say, first of all, that I do believe in a real, literal devil. Now, I realize not everybody will agree with me. A lot of people think that's more of a metaphor for evil. In fact, they say that nationwide, about 75% of people think that the devil is more of a metaphor for evil. And even among Christians, it's a 40-some percent of people that would say, no, he's not literal. It's just a metaphor. Uh, you can stay with me either way, but I, I do want to say that Jesus did talk very specifically uh, about the devil. Uh, you know, he says in John 10 that he came to steal, uh, kill, destroy. He hates humanity. Uh, the devil is mentioned throughout the Bible. He begins in the book of Genesis, ends in the book of Revelation. You have mentions of the devil. 35 times the word devil is used. 54 times the word Satan is used. Five times evil one. Eight times wicked one. The word Lucifer is used, destroyer. And his pronouns are, I thought it would be appropriate for the day. Uh, but the, the devil's pronouns are always personal. He Okay, it's not it, it's not that. So if you want to disagree with me and think, well, I don't believe in the literal devil, we can still go forward with the next point, so don't, don't rule it out. But I do think that the, the Bible talks about that we are dealing, you know, specifically with a very real person here. But what I also want us to see is that this person, this foe that we have, has a sp specific plan or a strategy, in his name is the idea of being a slanderer, if you study the meaning of his name. He is also called the accuser of the brethren. So I'd like you to think about that with me, first of all, that he is doing that. He is accusing or he is slandering. Okay, first of all, he is accusing you to God. Visualize with me, if you would, a courtroom scene for a second. I'll be over here. Dan Thomas is in the defendant's chair. Okay, in the courtroom. And the prosecuting attorney stands and he begins to list and he says, This man, right, but this is the eternal court, okay? 
But he begins to list the crimes. He says, this man right here is guilty of lying. He's guilty of lust. He's guilty of hatred. He's guilty of losing his temper. In that situation, I don't need a lawyer to spin the facts because the truth is that guy's got me dead to rights. All those things are true. What I need is an advocate. I need somebody to step up and say, yes, that is all true. But I loved him so much, I took that penalty for him. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, that if we trust in him, he steps up and he says, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't put that on him. I already paid for it, and I'm out of there. Okay? But Satan will accuse us to God. He will accuse God to us. Does God really love you? Is he still your friend? Uh, yeah, you know, he claims to be your friend, but uh, did he really say this? And if, and if he loved you, would he say this? If he loved you, would this happen? He accuses you to yourself. How often does he try to get us to beat ourselves up for past sins, things that, are, that have been forgiven, things under the blood of Christ, and yet Satan continues to bring them up? He accuses others to you. And this is his game all along, attack and accuse and sp- spread slander. I will confess boldly to you all that I am a conspiracy theorist, okay? I, I thought about making a tinfoil hat, but my wife gets mad when I use too much tinfoil, even just in wrapping up the dog's food, so I didn't know if I should take it. Uh, but I thought about bringing in my tinfoil hat, but I am thoroughly convinced that there is a plot to divide. It is to divide uh, everything, divide the families, divide the churches, divide the uh, countries, divide er everything, and spread slander and drive a wedge that is a, you know, whether it is a racial issue or whether it is a religious issue or whether it is a political issue of any kind, there's a plot to divide us as much as possible. Who do you think is behind that constant slander? I'm, I'm convinced. I don't know what his earthly vessels are, but I'm convinced that's my, that's my tinfoil hat. There's a plot. Satan is doing everything that he can to divide this world. He accuses others to you. A second uh, idea that I want you to think about in his plan, not only is he this accuser, this attacker, but I do want you to realize that he studies and he knows our weaknesses. There's a phrase in the book of Job, some of you might be familiar of, where, uh, with it, where Satan comes to the Lord and, uh, he, and uh, God asks him this question. He says, have you considered my servant Job? I never knew that phrase before was actually, as in studying it this week, it's a rhetorical question. Have you considered my servant Job? What God was really saying is, you have considered my servant Job. And the word considered is studied. Okay? And I think it is wise for us to know that our enemy knows our weaknesses. Okay, do you ever think, man, it seems like they just custom made that temptation for me? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Your enemy knows you, and he knows the weaknesses. Uh, whenever, I, I can't figure this out, whenever we'll go to somebody else's house, at, in our house, the dog knows that I'm the weakest link. Okay, I mean, she always begs at me first. Once I get up, then she'll move to somebody else. Uh, but when I go to other people's houses, how do their dogs know? No, really. Is there like some, you know, a message board or something? Hey, if he comes over, uh, he's the one. Because they do. It, it, they never go to my wife. They just know. And I didn't give them anything. I didn't even look at them. Uh, but, they, but they seem to know the weak, the weak link. They, they seem to know that our enemy studies us to know the weak link. Okay, he, he does. So, so know that. We have this adversary who is, who is crafty like that. And one of the things, just to remind you about his plan, he does not come with horns and a pitchfork. He comes as a friend. He comes as an angel of light, 
And he has much of the world saying to this roaring lion, here, kitty, kitty. He does because he has convinced us in many cases that he is actually on our side. But he targets Jesus and all who love him. He targets God's holy angels. He targets the nation of Israel. I won't develop that right now. He, de- he targets believers. Here's, here's a weird little factor I read this week that uh, if I knew, I forgot. Uh, but did you know that in the 20th century, more Christians were martyred around the world? More Christians were martyred than in all the other centuries combined. So the, so the battle's not over. And, and uh, he is that enemy. Now, before we leave talking about our foe here for a second, uh, one of the things that is mentioned in Scripture, I think, is the parameters where he operates. You know, back to that story of Job, we find that he is, uh, has to get a little permission to do what he does. And if we can remember this phrase, that when, when we're in the midst of the fire, God is with us and his hand is on the thermostat. Now, I would like him to turn down the thermostat many times faster than what he does. But if I can remember that in the midst of the fire, God is with us and his hand is on the thermostat. Three times Jesus talked about the devil and he, told him, and he, and he called him the ruler of this earth. Three different times that is mentioned. Okay. Now, the earth is God's by creation. It is God's by ultimate purpose. But right now, Satan is alive and well on the planet Earth. There's no other way to say that. Uh, You say, well, I thought Satan was in hell. No, Satan is not in hell now. Uh, He'll get there. But, you know, we have this vision from the cartoons that Satan's sitting on some throne in hell. No, he's, he's... He's having a good time in, in, in his operation. And again, if you're thinking, nah, I still see it as a metaphor, you can go with that and t- they just see the evil and the heartache that people face. Uh, he is alive and well. But I want to move from our foe here and talk about the future. And to do that, I want to read, uh, go on and, and talk a little bit about the strategy against him. Peter wrote and he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, here's what we do. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, I know we read that before, but I want you to see that again. And um, in those verses, it talks about the idea that we are to be sober-minded, serious, take this seriously, take this fight serious. We are to resist him. We are to be firm in the faith, right there in the middle of the screen, firm in the faith. Uh, I want to do another advertisement for what Josh was talking about this summer. We want to have some uh, basic core foundational classes, okay? And yet you'll get a notebook when you come to fill out some supplemental material ideas, but I think these can be real helpful. We will video them, so if you miss one, you can go back and watch them later. Uh, But we want to be established in our faith because here's how we're going to fight him. We need to know what we believe. We need to be firm in our faith, Under, understand where that is. So he, he, but what he is telling us in this is that one of the things that is part of our future is winning. Okay, let's go back again, talk, think about Satan. In hell, we have him visualized sitting on a throne. Can I tell you this? When Satan goes to hell, okay, I, I like a little clever, little piffy little things here. When Satan goes to hell, he's not going to be in charge. He's going to be in chains. Okay, I like that. Okay, so the day comes when, sure, we can claim victory, and here's why. The Bible says very clearly, and I said before, Satan is alive and well on the planet Earth, but the Bible also says the greater is he that is in us than he does in the world. That's why I love singing that Overcome song. Okay, for every grave, there's an empty tomb. 
Okay, I, I love to, uh, to, to celebrate that victory and look at that and realize greater is he, so we are on the winning side. So the future for us holds winning. The future also holds a place for exalting. And what I mean by that is I've talked about this lion that roars about or prowls about, seeking whom he may devour. I talked about this enemy and his ferociousness and one we would not want to take on. However, the Bible talks about another lion. He's called the Lion of Judah. That is the title that Jesus takes. Revelation chapter 5, it says that the Lion of Judah will overcome Okay, so the message that I can give is, yes, indeed, the battle is insane, and we have this foe, but the future holds for us winning. Uh, He will be in bondage, and greater is he that is in us now than he that is in the world, and we will see a place where Jesus is exalted. Now, I don't use a lot of Disney movies for illustrations. I don't know if I ever have, though I did win our family sing-off contest of, uh, don't talk about Bruno, don't, I uh, couldn't think of that song. I, I killed it. The grandkids were not, I'm sorry, it wasn't a sing-off, it was a dance-off. I was amazing. Uh, I beat the grandkids and don't talk about Bruno dancing. Uh, but so I'm not really usually bringing up Disney stories, but th- there's one that most of you know. You remember the story of the, uh, of uh, Simba and, uh, you know, Mufasa. Uh, and Simba, of course, is the uh, exiled king. Okay, and who takes over? Scar takes over for a while, and then, of course, at the end, the real king comes in. Okay, the king uh, in our story is the one that C.S. Lewis described as the velvet pawed lion, but the good king, the one that will rule and reign and restore order and everything like that, comes back into power. And that is the true king. And that's what we look forward to in the future, the exaltation of that true king. Yes, uh, and you say, Pastor, you completely understand that whole idea of Satan as the prince and power of the air and rules on this. I don't completely understand, but I know he's alive and well on this earth, and I know the day's coming when he's going to be bound and changed and the true king sits upon the throne, and hallelujah. Okay, and that's what I'm holding on to. That exaltation is coming. Can you understand a little bit why I was excited to get here today? That's just fun to talk about, that true king coming to power. Yesterday, I'm sitting there. Uh, we, I'd just gone through this, and I was pretty pumped. Uh, and uh, you know how you're, you know that your computers and your phones hear you talking because they show up ads, you know, so how'd they get that? Uh, I'm, I'm convinced now they can read my mind because I can just... <laughs> Uh, because I had just finished going over this and thinking about this, and what came up on my computer screen was this song called The Lion. It's a worship song. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, Lion, i got to listen to it. And uh, I can't get the tune. Hail, 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 Lion of Judah. Let the lion roar. Yeah, it was okay. The tune's off. But, uh, but I kept singing that. Hail, hail, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar. I was getting excited. In fact, my wife and I left and we're going in the car, and I was singing it so much that she did the old, uh, okay, I'm going to turn a CD on now. Uh, because you only know one line to that song. And uh, I cannot take it anymore. But, you know, but I was a hail, hail, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar. And that's what we're talking about here the true king being exalted. Okay, if that doesn't get just a little bit of uh, excitement going. And then the, uh, the third idea, let's go ahead and read the last couple or last few verses here. We're going to, oh, I'm sorry, there's my words. Hail, hail, uh, forgot I put those in there this morning. All right. Uh, but anyway, uh, after you, okay, look at these verses with me. Here's how Peter wraps up. After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to be the dominion forever and ever. Okay, the last word I want to throw at you is glorying. We will in the future be winning, exalting the true king, and just glorying in him, bathing in his light and in his goodness. We will be glorifying there. But let me go back and look at these verses for a second because I, I, I want to tell you that when I read this first phrase, after you have suffered, the, those next few words bother me. I have a hard time preaching them sometimes. I, I'll tell you why. After you've suffered a little while, now, it's the same phrase that this is Peter writing here. It's the same phrase Paul used in Scripture. He said, our suffering is but a little while. And the reason I struggle with that is, and, th- and this, is just, this is just personal. I'm not commenting on the, the world as we know it. I have never in my lifetime had so many people that are in my spe- sphere of connections that are hurting. And I don't mean because they've done stupid things. I mean just because life is hard. Okay, I have never, I've never experienced, and I don't know if that, if other people are seeing that or saying that, or it is just specifically me. I mean, uh, you know, how's the pastor going? Well, great in a lot of ways, but man, so many hurting people, and there are, there's, there's so much hurt and everything like that. And sometimes when I hear some of your stories, and oh, just a little while, don't worry about it. I feel, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm cheapening it when I say that. So. But I want you to see what God says here or why he would say that. He says, he uses that phrase a little while because remember, for him there is no time. There is eternity. And when you compare, even if our life from birth to death is nothing but suffering, he would still say that is a little while compared to eternity. We can't grasp eternity. We can't understand it. But that day is coming when we will walk in his light, live in his light, walk in his glory. We'll know what that's all about. And look what he says is going to happen here. Look at, look at this verse. It says he himself is going to do what? He's going to restore. He's going to confirm. He's going to strengthen. He's going to establish you. That is what is coming. A little song Francis and I uh, listen to sometimes, uh, I've mentioned before, but there's a lot of bad days still coming our way. <laughs> Great, encouraging message. But then sweet ever after. And sometimes that's just what we need to hold to. And I am not honestly saying to you flippantly, ah, your problems are nothing. You're nothing. Uh, I have listened to some of you, and I have thought, I can't, I don't even know how they're walking. I don't know how they're getting up in the morning. I I really don't. So I am not in any way, you know, downplaying the hurt that goes on. But what I am saying is this. God says that that is Compared to eternal glory, that is a little while. I can give you that. Compared to the, uh, the eternal glory, that is a little while. And the day is coming when this true king uh, that will sit on his throne uh, will, at the throne, the eternal throne, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And you will be enjoying the brightness and splendor of his presence for eternity. And we can cling to that. Now, I, uh, I flirt sometimes with it exactly. I, I heard that song yesterday, and I thought, I want to sing that in church. Uh, and I wasn't going to, it's a fairly new song. I wasn't going to call up Adam and say, hey, got a new song for you tomorrow morning. Uh, get here and learn it. So we're going to try something. Now, actually, listen to those words of overcome. We could do that, too. That's awfully good. But we're going to try something. Okay, so I've asked the guys in the back. They're going to play. Okay, I have to go back here. Because the words are so profound. Actually, if you listen to the whole song, they say this, I think, 137 times. We're not going to do it uh, every time. But I wanted to get a little phrase in your head. Uh, and maybe just uh, 
let the lion roar, okay, as we look at life, life a little bit here. So I'm going to ask them to play a little bit. When they get to the chorus, I'm going to say, all right, you ready? And we're going to try to catch on. I think, I think the first time through, I mean, we're only going to play it for a few, few minutes total, uh, but the first time through, they're going to say this three or four times, and then the second time, maybe a couple more than that, but we won't do the whole thing, or we will, we will be here through lunch. But, uh, but I want to just get you singing Let the Lion Roar. So you can say, see this, you listen to this first part. The first part is just some of the names of God. Uh, oh, they do a weird thing, too, I should warn you. Uh, the guys up there singing Roar. Kind of, sounds kind of corny, uh, but they roar in the middle, middle of it. Uh, you can just ignore that. But I want you to get these words. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar. Grab on to the truth that we looked at today. Yeah, yeah, there's a foe. He's as real as could be. But there's a future that is, that is as bright as could be. We praise you for that this day, Father. Help us to cling to that promise. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.